In the month of May, for the last couple of years, it's been uh, our habit to be part of what is called the One Twani uh, Initiative, where churches in Twani are coming together and um, rallying around just what we feel God is saying within our city at this particular time. This week, on the 9th of May, we actually will be having a, a, a prayer gathering for all church leaders in the city and spiritual leaders that will be gathering together and praying together on uh, Wednesday morning, and uh, we think that's going to be a great initiative. But also over this month, we are in our sermons over the last couple of years, what we did is we would have shared topics that we would preach. This year we've done a little bit different, and, and just given an overall topic, there's not such specific pre uh, preaching topics as we did, but for this month, uh, we've entitled the Twani series, One Love, and uh, we're really focusing on sharing the gospel of the Lord Jesus through the love of Christ that is visible in all of our lives, and how we all participate in sharing the love of Christ, and that really fitted so well in with our theme for this year, and even for this theme, you know, we're busy with the theme for the year of uh, uh, um, a disciples quest and in this term we're talking be about being a body of heroes and how God uses each of us within the body of faith and how we each bring our giftings and our abilities for the upbuilding of the church and for the extension of God's kingdom and today I, I want to take that into a specific space and we want to talk about being heroes in our family now I always find it such a great privilege that wherever I go, people tell me stories about how Hatfielders has impacted their lives and changed their lives. Just uh, over the weekend, I was at a wedding, and uh, on the table with me was a gentleman that I met and uh, who told me that many years ago, he used to work with a, a Hatfield member and uh, how he would, that member actually led him to the Lord and uh, how they would on regular occasions sit and work through the scriptures and how he would be uh, encouraged and discipled by one of our members here. And that's not the first time that I've heard stories like that. Lots of places I go, people will tell me, oh, it's through Hatfield that I got saved. Or as a student, I went to Hatfield. Or if it's not people and members here of our own church, then they'll tell me about how other people, how Hatfield people has impacted their lives. And I think this church has an amazing reach heritage and an ongoing heritage of the impact of, of bringing people to Christ and making disciples of, of people. Now, I think it's commonly understood that one of the hardest places to share your faith in and to disciple people is within your own family. Any of you have ever experienced that, where it's a little bit hard in your own family? Raise your hand if that's been your experience, that there's been some, perhaps somebody's raising their hand because of you. <laughs> we, we, we never know. But it is quite a difficult thing in families. I don't know if it is because we, we're so close to one another. Perhaps we're highly motivated in our families because we love our family members that we, that we want to share our faith with them. But they also know us so well and they do know our mistakes and our, and our failures and when we don't get it so right so well. And it becomes quite a, a difficult space. But yet, it's a space where we all have to press into and trust the Lord. For, to use us in terms of being heroes in our own families that can share this wonderful thing that we have found, the kingdom of God, and our relationship with Jesus that we want to share with other people. I want to encourage you this morning through a story from the New Testament. You'll know that we're looking at some of the lesser-known characters in the New Testament, and it's right from the family of Jesus, where even Jesus found it hard in his own family to tell them about Jesus. Did you get that? Not just Jesus, their brother, but Jesus, the Son of God. Right in his own family, we have a story 
that he's told about how his own family struggled, particularly his siblings struggled with believing that Jesus was who he claimed to be, the Son of God. And I'm going to particularly take a look at the life of one of his brothers this morning quickly. And what I'm going to do is just read chronologically some of the scriptures about the life of James, the brother of Jesus. How many of you know that Jesus had a brother, half-brother, because obviously they didn't have the same father, but a half-brother that was by the name of James. Jesus actually had four brothers. They were five brothers in their family and sisters. We don't know how many, but that means they were at least seven in their family. Mary and Joseph and seven children. So when you read the story, for instance, of of them going to the, the temple and, you know, forgetting Jesus, just remember they had seven children. So it's not so hard to forget one of them. They had seven children at least. Jesus' brothers were, uh, in the original language, their names was Yaakov, Yossi, Shimon, and Yehuda. Translated in English, James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas. Very common names of the day. Uh, It doesn't seem like Joseph and Mary had a really good name book. They just used very common names of the day. Didn't give them any exciting names. Even Jesus was a very common name of the day. So here Jesus had grew up in this family, and in Mark, Matthew 13, sorry, we read the first introduction to the dynamics that Jesus faced within his own family. In Matthew 13, from verse 54 to 58, we read the story of Jesus going back to Nazareth. He's now started with his public ministry. He's going around. He's becoming well-known, and things are happening, and now he goes home to his hometown, and we read the story in the following way. He returned to, his, to Nazareth, his hometown. When he taught there in the synagogue, everyone was amazed and said, where does he get this wisdom and the power to do miracles? When they scoffed, then they scoffed. He's just the carpenter's son. And we know Mary, his mother, and his brothers, James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas. All his sisters live right here among us. Where did he learn all these things? And they were deeply offended and refused to believe in him. Jesus told them, a prophet is honored everywhere except in his own hometown and among his own family. And so he did only a few miracles there because of their unbelief. So right here we have it established for us that his own family struggled to believe that he was the Son of God. In John 7, we need a little bit more of this. John 7, verse 2 to 8. But soon it was time for the Jewish festival of shelters. And Jesus' brothers said to him, Leave here and go to Judea, where your followers can see your miracles. You can't become famous if you hide like this. If you can do such wonderful things, show yourself to the world. For even his brothers didn't believe in him. Jesus replied, Now is not the right time for me to go, but you can go anytime. The world can't hate you, but it does hate me because I accuse it of doing evil. You, go on. I'm not going to this festival because my time has not yet come. Do you pick up when you read the scripture a little bit of sibling rivalry going on? With these brothers saying to him, come on, if you are who you claim to be, if you are now Jesus and you do all these miracles and these wonderful things, why are you hiding here? Go, show people who you are. Go and do your fancy tricks and, you know, go and tell everybody that you're Jesus, the Son of God. And Jesus says, no, 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 you don't understand. My time has not yet come. And he sort of Can you see the event where it's the four brothers and him on the one side and the four of them on the other side? Almost like a little bit of a Joseph story replaying itself. You know, you think you're so great? Go, show everybody how great you are. A little bit of sibling rivalry going on. And the scripture says even his own brothers didn't believe in him at the time. 
And we carry on reading how the story unfolds. And now we, we move to post Christ's death and resurrection. It's the next time we read about his brothers. And actually now they start focusing on James, this one brother of Christ. It says in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 6 to 7, After that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Then he was seen by James and later by all the apostles. So at this point, we see something is changing. Because at this point now, Jesus appears to his followers. And among his followers now, is included James, his brother. So at some point, James, his brother, went from being an unbeliever that didn't believe in Christ as the Son of God, and that came now to become a believer. We read more of this in Acts 1, verse 14. This is the occasion where the, the followers of Christ, that 120 of them, are now waiting in the upper room for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And the Scripture says, in Luke records for us, they all met together and were constantly united in prayer, along with Mary, the mother of Jesus, several other women, and the brothers of Jesus. Now we don't find, only find that James is included amongst those that are believers, but now all Christ's brothers have become believers and are now waiting for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. The story continues, and we pick up again where James is mentioned in the New Testament. It now happens in the context of Paul writing to the Galatians. And he's writing to the Galatians about the belief that the Gentiles can also become followers of Christ. And he says the following as he's talking and just, you know, communicating some of the events that happened. He said in Galatians 1.19, But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Now James is not only counted as a believer, but now he's counted amongst the leadership of the church. He's seen to be on the level of the, of the other apostles. Can you see the progression happening in his life? In Acts 12, verse 17, Peter tells the story about how he was saved from prison. And he needs to get the information about the story and what happened him to the right people. So in Acts 12, again, Luke writes for us, But motioning to them with his hand to keep silent, he declared to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. That's now Peter. And he said, Go tell these things to James and to the brethren. And he departed and went to another place. Now we can see that it's important for Peter that James in particularly gets to know the unfolding of the events that's taking place. We carry on reading in Acts 15, verse 13 and 19. This is now the discussion that's happening in Jerusalem. Many, many Gentiles have now started coming to Christ and turning away from their pagan faiths and into Christianity. And at this time, a debate arose in the early church. Because the early church was birthed out of out of Judaism, and it was mainly Jews at first that became believers in Christ. And what they would do is they would carry on with some of their Jewish traditions and practices and just be Christians and add their Christian, Christian faith on top of that. But now as Gentiles were getting saved, they didn't include Jewish practices because they were Gentiles. And a debate arose, and basically the question was this, must you become a Jew before you can become a Christian? Or can you become a Christian without becoming a Jew? In other words, things like, do you have to be circumcised to be a Christian? 
or not. And a debate started on this. Paul on the one side was advocating for the, for the Gentiles and saying, no, they don't have to become Jews. And others were standing on the other side and advocating that, no, the Jewish faith has to be preserved. And there were even people going around, they were called Judaizers, that would go around and convince people that they need to get circumcised and, and, and attend the Sabbath and all of these things, even though they were Gentiles beforehand. So a discussion arose and a debate and a decision had to be made. So in Acts 15, verse 13, we read the following. And after they had become silent, under the words, after everybody had spoken, everybody had given their input into this discussion, James answered, saying, Me, men and brethren, listen to me. So here we see that James has authority in the church now. In verse 19, this is confirmed. Therefore I judge that we should not trouble those from among the Gentiles, who are turning to God. The final decision about how to deal with this situation was delivered by James that said, it is my judgment. And that's the way the church went. Because James then became the leader of the church in Jerusalem, which was the mother church in a sense of all the churches that were planted. So here we see this amazing story about how this man, James, started just as a brother of Christ, didn't believe in who Jesus was, actually had some animosity towards Jesus, made it difficult for Jesus, even at times, with his brothers, eventually came to a place of faith, got discipled and grew up in his faith, and then became part of the leadership in the church, and then eventually to be the church leader in Jerusalem. Paul again writes about James in Galatians 2 verse 9, and he says, And when James, Cephas, which is Peter, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that had been given to me. They gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship that we should go to the Gentiles and they, and they to be circumcised. So here we see that James was one of, the, one of the leaders again, but that he was a pillar within the church. What an amazing unfolding. What an amazing story that happened in a family. Now all of us, we are here today because in some similar way, a story of relationships unfolded in our lives. If I think about my own journey, when, when we got saved, my mother, my brother, and myself, we got saved within a couple of months from each other, all of us. We, we were attending church at that time, part of a church, but it was really nominal. We went more often, uh, more not than often. We, we weren't really very committed to it, and um, people moved in next door to us. And because of this family that we all got saved through various different encounters. And uh, they started bringing us to Hatfield, right back in Anderson Street days. How many of you here still from Anderson Street days? I would propose, come on, lift your hands high, let's see. That's like in the, in the 70s, late 70s and 80s. Yeah, come on, give them a good round of applause. And we started going, the three of us as a family, my mother, my brother, and myself. We would go first in the evening services. We would go in the morning to our home church that we would go to. We started going more regularly and more often to the church there, but then in the evenings we would come to the service here. My father didn't join us. He didn't make a commitment of his life to the Lord at that stage. He actually became quite resistant to the whole idea. What happened was, uh, you may have heard this story, some of you, but he, my mother actually brought him to a service here just shortly after all of us were now newly Christians and saved and, you know, born again. And we so excited and what God's doing in our lives. And she was so excited about what God was doing in her life that she brought my dad to church. And we used to sit 
around there normally uh, on a Sunday evening, and it was just a wonderful service, and at the end of the service, there was an altar call made, and Pastor Ed that evening still made an altar call. You know how he used to do it with, you know, close your eyes, and if you want to pray the prayer, you lift up your hand, and then you stand, and so the whole deal, he did the prayer, and my dad was sitting next to my mom, and she closed her eyes, and she was so excited. My dad's going to get saved now. He's going to give his heart to Jesus. So he closed his eyes and they prayed. And as you know, she was so excited when Pastor Ed said, lift up your hand, she, she looked over and my dad was sitting like this. <laughs> she could not for a moment believe that he didn't want to get saved. So she grabbed his hand and stuck it in the air. <laughs> True story. That was, sorry, that was the last time he came to church for 10 years. <laughs> 10 more years, he said, I want nothing to do with this funny business, the Holy Rollers, the Happy Clappies, the Happy Bappies, all those names that we were called in those days. And in our own family, it became this journey where we had to walk with my dad in a way that didn't make it harder for him to come to the Lord in his own time. So what my mom used to do is there were times when my dad would get quite upset and, and feel left out, I can understand, because we would come to church all the time and have this in common and talk. And, you know, those days you'd come to the evening service, you'd have to come at, we would leave home at half past four to be here before five when the service starts at six. And, um, you know, so a lot of our Sundays suddenly became going to church days. And my dad, you can understand, that became hard for him. So at times he became a little bit difficult and demanded that we not go to church. And there were times where for a, a couple of weeks, months, we couldn't go to church anymore. And then my mom would say, let's honor your dad, let's respect his position, and we're not going to go to church. But then the underground network got busy. What the underground network would do is they would go to the bookshop, which in those days, first of all, was a book table, and then it was a bookshop. And they would go to the bookshop, and they would get the tape. How many of you remember what tapes are? Good old fashioned cassette tapes. A cassette, you remember those? And uh, they would buy the cassette for my mom and sneak it into the house and give it to her. And then she would, when she would be at home, she worked half day for some of the time in our families, uh, in our younger years. She would come home and then before my dad would get home, she'd be cleaning the house and listening to the, the, the sermon of the, of the week. But then she would always keep an eye open that when my dad gets home, everything gets hidden. The Bibles get hidden, everything gets hidden because we don't want to make it hard for him. And that became our journey. There were times when my mom would just say, sorry, you can't go to youth now. You can't, you know, and then it would be very hard for us because, you know, we were walking this journey with my dad. And walking these journeys of faith and sharing what Jesus means to us is hard with our families. Now, the time when, when Jesus, his brothers, turned was actually around the time of his death and resurrection. It seems that when Jesus died and was put in the grave and then actually rose on the third day and his brothers saw this, that was the moment where they turned and became believers in Christ. Now, when I read that at first, I felt that, well, that's a little bit unfair. Because if I could die and rise up from the dead on the third day, my family would also find it a lot easier to believe. You know? But then I realized that's the whole point. Because first of all, I need to understand that it is not my job to turn them to my faith. It's my job to introduce them to Jesus. It is to make Him known. It's not about me. It's not about who I am. And secondly, I do have a death and resurrection story, like Jesus has. And my death and resurrection is that I died. I was dead in sin. 
And I recognized that. And then gave my heart to Jesus. And because of His working, He has made me alive. And I now live in Him. So I have a death and resurrection story. It was so beautiful this morning to see the baptisms of those young people. Those baptisms was nothing other than young people saying, I recognize that I am dead. And I will die to myself, go through the waters of baptism in a burial, and then, be, and then come out the other side and being resurrected. And that's 1 Corinthians 15 is the resurrection chapter in the New Testament where, where Paul basically tells us that the same power that rose Christ from the dead is now at work within us. And we are being risen. So you, in your family, is the same story being repeated. Death and resurrection. You have recognized that I cannot live without Christ. It's not about how perfect and how wonderful you are at first. May you become perfect and wonderful. It does make it easier. But it's not about that at first. It's about understanding who Jesus is. And how we point towards Him. The last bit we know about James from the Scripture is the fact that he wrote the book of James in the New Testament. And in the book of James, he starts with this greeting. He says, James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. To the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greetings. I love the fact that James doesn't start his greeting with James, the brother of Christ. He lays no claim to his personal relationship. He doesn't take the inside track and say, you know, I was a brother of Jesus. He says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. What an amazing thing if you think about the sibling rivalry they used to have. Where now James says, he's my Lord and my Savior. That is quite a work of the Holy Spirit, to see your brother in that light. It's again a very, sim a very similar story as unfolded with Joseph and his brothers, where they eventually had to come and kneel before him. But in that situation, Joseph had to say to them, I'm your brother. But with Christ, he's now in the Spirit, he's our older brother. And we all bow before him and we say, you are our Lord. And James does the same. He understands his position in the kingdom. What an amazing work of the Spirit in that family and in, in, and in their lives. I think all of us would love to see a similar story unfold in each of our families of how people can journey to faith. And many of us will have stories like that. My dad eventually, about 11 years after we gave our hearts to Jesus, got saved. In the year before he died, he gave his heart to Jesus. A long journey. And that's the challenge with family. It takes time so often to reach our families. Now, every family is different. Every family has a different story and different dynamics and different realities to it. Come from different backgrounds. Some have been church-going people and then only later in their lives developed a personal relationship with Jesus. Some come from other faiths. Some come from no faith. All families are different. It's pretty hard to say this is the way in which you reach your family, and, and I don't want to do that, but in the, uh, in the last couple of minutes that I just want to share three things with you that I believe is important for us to remember as we, if we want to be heroes in our families that help them see who Jesus is. The first one is prayer. Prayer. Pray for your family. Pray for those that do not know Christ. 
I think there's two things happen, that happen when we pray for our families. First of all, we pray, and God in the Spirit can establish the breakthroughs based on our prayers. But secondly, God works on our hearts when we pray, doesn't He? Because sometimes we just don't like our family, or some of them at least. Sometimes we've had arguments. Sometimes it's just they irritate us. Sometimes we're sick and tired of all their dumb decisions that they make. Sometimes we've lent them money and they still owe us the money. And all these very different things can become blockages in our hearts. But when we pray, God gives us His perspective and His heart for our family. And it's important that we pray from God's heart. Otherwise, we'll pray some prayers that may not be the prayers that God wants us to pray for our families. But we pray for them. The second thing is, I think it's important to not just be praying, but to be real authenticity, to be real people in our families. I think it's really terrible when you become a Christian and now you're in your family and you act like you've got it all together now, that you've got everything sorted, everything, you've got the answer for everything. I don't think that really helps because first of all, it's not true. And secondly, you just irritate your family when you do that. But can we be real people in our family, people that, that can really Speak from a real place of what Christ means to us, but also from a reality of what are the things that we're still growing in and working on and don't understand, but be real about it. Be an authentic person. Don't be tempted to color in the story and make it better than what it really is, or to oversell who God is. Michael Jr. in his comedy speaks about people that are oversaved. Don't become one of those oversaved people. You know, that everything has a Jesus story connected to it, you know. When, you, when, when, they, when, they, when your family brings out something to drink and it's red, then you want to talk to them about the blood of Jesus all of a sudden. Or whatever. Everything is a, is a you know, be a real person. Rather share with them with great humility about what God is doing in your life when you get the opportunity. Don't exalt yourself, put yourself above anybody else. Don't bash them with the truth as you understand it. And don't, you know, be, have that judgmental attitude, that holier-than-thou kind of position towards people in your family. Don't put little scriptures next to their beds. You know, they wake up in the morning, it says, repent or die, you know, or, or bless them on their birthday with a book about how hot hell is, and, you know, don't do those kinds of things. You know, don't grab their hand and stick it up in church if they do come with you. But be a person that can be relatable, a person that can share from the real places of what God is doing in your life and how you're struggling. Because so often we have the same struggles as our family has with, with the things that are going on in the world around us. And, and don't be all high and mighty, you know, Jesus is the answer. Engage, be relatable, share with your stories and, and be very invitational. I think one of the best things we can do in our families, and this is what my mother taught us when we journeyed with our dad, is to serve him, is to love him, to respect him, to honor him. I love the fact that the scripture says in Romans 8, it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. And I think particularly in our families, it should be our default position is our kindness, our gentleness, our invitation, our inclusivity with our family. The last one I want to say is not only be, be praying, be real, but be engaging. Have conversations. How many of you remember that good old Elvis song 
a little less conversation, a little more action. Do you know that song? Don't you? It was, re- uh, sing it. Really? No. <laughs> We, we listened to, there was a remake of that song in 2002, and so it's got quite a hip, and we listen to it often when we're driving far as a family, a little less, okay, let me not even go this, do my best Elvis, do my best Elvis voice, a little less conversation, where's Manfred, he can do a little less conversation for us, and it's a good, it's a good thought, particularly when it comes to politicians, a little less conversation, a little more action, but in our families, good conversations are very important, aren't they? To have some good conversations from a real place, engaged with people. Always be prepared to tell the story of what God is doing in your life. Always be prepared to say, this is what I'm learning. But not from a preachy kind of place, but from a place of responsiveness to the Holy Spirit. And I think that's the key that I want to leave with you. At the end of the day, the only way we can reach any other person, and particularly in our families, is by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's why Jesus, when he left, he said, I'm sending you the Holy Spirit. And he will empower you to be my witness. I can't tell you, nobody else can tell you how to reach your family other than this to say, these are a couple of principles, but, but allow the Holy Spirit to lead you. As you're praying, the Holy Spirit will stir things in your heart. And then be ready that when the Holy Spirit op- opens the opportunities, that you're there to respond. That you're there to have the right kind of conversation. Short conversations. But sharing what God is doing in your life as the Holy Spirit gives you opportunity. Every, different, every person requires a different approach. One of the sayings that I like, a quote by Henry Ward Beecher that said, You never know till you try to reach them how accessible men are. But you must approach each man by the right door. And I think that's true of the people in our families. And the privilege we have with families is they, they always come to some point at some time where they need you to pray for them. I mean, we get it all the time in our family. We would get phone calls, normally via my mother or Natasha's parents. Some family member did something stupid and got themselves in trouble, and now they have to phone us and tell us, will we please pray for them? And then often, most of the time, my response is very fleshly to say, they can pray for themselves. They did this, they did this stupid thing, a typical, you know what, they, I knew they were going to do this. Now I must go and pray for them. But then I get over myself or my wife beats me up, one of the two, whichever one comes first. And then we pray for them. It's always amazing how they will, they know where to go. When we live that life of consistency, which is not about us, but it's about our resurrection story. You have died and you have been risen in Christ. And God is doing a good work in you. Let that work just be displayed consistently. And when you mess it up, when you fail, and when you, when you say something stupid or didn't pick up on a need, just say, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I, I should have done better. Don't give them the forgiveness teaching at that point. Just say, I'm sorry. And be there the next time. And in that way, we can be the heroes in our families that we can... Tell the stories of how God is using our family, us in our families. It was so nice for me on when we had Ravi Zacharias here that Monday evening. My cousin came and attended the service here. And her father, my, my, my mother's older brother, used to give us a hard time when we became Hatfielders. And, and now that whole family, our whole relationship has changed and over the years. And that's what God can do. 
as we just live our resurrection story. So I wonder if you can stand with me this morning. We've had a great time in the Lord's presence. And we've prayed together and we've shared together, even laughed a little bit together. But can we end this time this morning and just say, Lord, I want to pray for my loved ones. Because so often in a time like this, you'll remember, okay, I've got to pray for them. And then after a couple of weeks, they irritate you again and you forget. But can we commit to say, Lord, we're going to be the heroes in our families? Not because we are heroes and heroic, but because we have a hero that is Jesus. And we want people to just see him. So can I ask you right now, just get a picture, a face in front of your eyes, in your imagination. Or perhaps a couple of faces from your family. I'm sure we all have. If you don't have family that you want to pray for, close friend, a co colleague, a co-worker. And can we just pray for them this morning? Lord Jesus, we thank you for our relationships. And that our relationships can become more than just relationships. They can become pathways into the kingdom. They can become journeys of faith, Lord. And none of us are perfect. None of us get it right, even most of the time, Lord. But by your grace and by the leading of your spirit, you can use our relationships and even in our families. We're so encouraged by your own story and the story of your brother James. And we pray right now in Jesus' name for the repetition of that story in its own unique way in each of our families. As we think of these people that we hold up before us right now, we pray, Lord Jesus, that you would come and work in our own hearts first, in our own lives, but work in these relationships. Let the resurrection story be repeated in each of these relationships, we pray. We trust you. Remind us to pray for these people, for our family members, our loved ones, Lord, we pray. And Lord, we also commit today and to say we will be those that will pray, that will be real, that will engage. Help us, Lord, by your Holy Spirit. I want to ask the Holy Spirit right now to strengthen us, to fill us, to empower us so that we can be witnesses. If you open to the infilling of the Holy Spirit this morning, just can I ask you to raise both your hands in a sign of saying, I'm wide open. I'm ready, Lord. I recognize I can't do this on my own. I need you, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Fill us afresh today in the name of Jesus. We pray for an overflowing strengthening, empowering for each of us, Lord, that in our families, in our communities, in our workplaces, wherever we go, that we would be a resurrection story that helps people see who Christ is, the risen Lord. Come, Holy Spirit. Can I ask you just for a moment, we're going to finish now, just to receive. Just receive the Holy Spirit. Just receive the Holy Spirit this morning. Just receive Him. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. We thank You, Lord. Your Word says, when we ask, we receive. And we receive by faith today. We've asked, and Your Word said, how much more Your children, when they ask You for the Spirit, they will receive. Thank you, Holy Spirit. I pray that for each of us as we go through the week, 
for the next couple of weeks, months, years, every so often, we will allow you to fill us afresh in Jesus' name. Amen. Remember, there's baptism this morning after the service. If you want to be baptized, you can go to the functions hall. If you want us to pray with you this morning, if you want to talk to somebody about what it means to be a Christian and give your heart to Jesus and be part of the family of faith, come and speak with us and we want to pray with you. The Lord bless you. Have a great week. And remember to fill in your cards if you haven't done so. And and you can give them in at the information desk also on your way out. Thank you very much.